Happy almost the new year, everybody. And hey, you listen to the Cracked Podcast. You probably read Cracked.com. You're almost definitely awesome. Why don't you show off your awesomeness? Show off what you're doing, what you're selling, what you're making, who you are with your own personal website. Squarespace makes it easy to build that site. You can showcase yourself, customize everything, and there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I am also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also a giant child. Okay, I am a kid who is still figuring out the world, cleverly hiding in an adult disguise. I'm like a large adult son, and uh, that's probably at least somewhat true of you, too, because of how the world works these days. And I found that out as we put this week's episode together. Because this week's show, it began as a roundup of the most important advice to give to kids growing up now. And that was inspired by Cracked's own John Cheese. He wrote a fantastic column called Five Lessons I Never Knew I'd Have to Teach My Children. And it's about all the modern, surprising, practical, and counterintuitive lessons his kids needed to be alive in the future year that we live in, 2017. Advice that goes beyond the standard wisdom of be a generally good person. It's got pro tips about gossip and World of Warcraft and when to tell someone to go fuck themselves. It's a whole thing. And you know what? As we put that show together, we realized adults need a lot of those lessons too. The world moves too fast to not be a lifelong learner about how to be a person and how to treat other people. Speaking of that, I'm very excited about our guests today. One of them is Cracked Editor Christy Harrison. She is a parent and human, and she's done fantastic writing on Cracked lately about harassment, which, as you know, is the biggest story in the country? Maybe the world. It's huge. We will footnote the heck out of her column and discuss a lot of that material on mic. We're also joined by Andrew T. He is the host of the Earwolf podcast, Yo, Is This Racist? If you don't know the show, Yo, Is This Racist? It's what the title sounds like. He and guests let you know if stuff is racist or not. And since the world's supply of stuff is endless, it makes for an endlessly fascinating podcast. I've been listening to it for years. I'm a big fan and very happy to be talking to Andrew today. Anyhow, the three of us want to help your kids be more cutting-edge and awesomer, and in the process of attempting that, we ended up trying to make everyone awesomer, which we talk about right at the top of the episode, which starts now. So please sit back or gather all your large adult sons onto your lap. By the way, do you know the large adult sons meme? It's my favorite current internet joke. We'll footnote what that is so you can enjoy it too. It's a really good time. Anyway, enjoy this episode of the Cracked Podcast with Christy Harrison over the phone and Andrew T. in the studio. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Going into this, we were focusing on like, oh, if I was bringing up a kid or raising a kid, like, oh, what should we teach them that's beyond the standard hey be a good person because the world keeps changing and they're keeping new things to be on top of these are also things that anybody could learn there's a lot of us who are adults that still need to pick these things up what are the lessons that i wish i could take in right now myself like forget my kids 
I don't even know, like who, who, who knows at this point what, you know, how they're going to turn out, but me, what do I need to fix about myself? And that's how I ended up <laughs> shaping my list. Like it was an <laughs> introspective uh, critique of my own personality and what I, how I think. So, but yeah, I'll apply them to the kids too. That's gotta be how raising uh, a kid is, right? Like you're just ultimately trying to repair things about yourself through this kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then correcting, like, because the lessons we were giving 10 years ago are not the lessons that we're giving now. And and you have to, like, be willing to say, oh, that was bad advice. We, we, we messed that one up. Uh, this is how we think now and adjust. And I think that's the lesson, too, for kids to know that, you know, as adults, you grow and change and parents are not infallible. But... Yeah, we were in a completely different environment than we were 10 years ago. And so that's, yeah, I felt like this was all a, yeah. a journal entry for me and myself and just me. And we're just going to happen to record it. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a public journal. This is great. And off of that, Chrissy, you'd, you'd brought up one that speaks to advice I think I got when I was a kid. I, I was advised to like, oh, figure out what you love and then do that. You know, just make that your whole career. Just do that. And that's not terrible advice or anything, but you'd suggest that a good piece of advice would be to prepare to reinvent yourself as life goes on. Yeah, because I don't know anybody who's only had one job for forever. I know historically there was a time, but a very short amount of time, like where you would just be one thing for your whole life and then get to retire. Like historically, that's what a hundred years of time in the 20th century that people had that privilege of being able to retire and not do their trade for another 20 years or whatever. Yeah. At least in the U S yeah, sure. Like that's a new, that in itself is a new concept. And even today, when you ask a kid, you know what they want to be when you grow up, the question is wrong because there's nobody who gets to be that one thing for forever. Even if you like get an, even if you're like a lawyer or you're a doctor or an astronaut, you're going to be expected to kind of also be a writer or maybe be a professor as well, or do like 10 other things in addition to your job. And that's if you don't get tired of your job and, or don't, you know, if, if you don't move on for other reasons. So I, yeah, I think yeah. reinventing yourself is something that kids should probably know about right away <laughs> like you can do all the jobs <laughs> you can you're gonna have time you can try everything out if if you want we go from this to this to this or have a plan for your ultimate job like how are you going to transition to this job the one that you really really want to try and i said we should use madonna and david bowie's examples but i know that there people have understood the concept of reinventing themselves and there's lots of historical people who have done multiple things in life that are cool it's just not something that you're taught as you're growing up. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Madonna and Bowie are such strong musical examples of that. Even when you were listing, oh, doctors, lawyers, astronauts, they still need to. I thought of Chris Hadfield, the Canadian astronaut yeah. who was on the ISS for a long, long oh, time. Oh, the singing dude. Yeah. Right. Yes. Exactly. Like, I can't imagine. I've read his book, and it's all about how his whole life he wanted to be in space. Like, his, his dad sat him down when he was a kid to watch the Apollo missions, and he was like, oh, yeah, no, that's it. That's my thing. Oh, wow. uh, I can't imagine he was uh, training for that and being a test pilot and thinking, like, someday I will be a YouTube star. Yeah. That's where I'm going. What a <laughs> hell of an obituary that's going to say astronaut slash YouTuber. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's so bonkers. We know him because 
he's he's good at PR. Like he he had this other skill set that he applied to his job. Yeah. That is beyond the math and whatever. Like what, how how long did he get to be in space? I don't even know. Certainly not you know long enough to make that his only thing. I'm only in space. That's my good. That's what I'm good at. He's like a really good example of someone. And and these celebrities, Madonna and David Bowie, like understanding. This is so, it sounds so stupid, but understanding how to take good pictures and how to present yourself, it sounds like that's like a huge piece of the future. And we're going to talk about this managing your social media. That's a skill set that I think kids have more intuitively than people my age. I, I have to rethink it. It's something that I, at my age, I need to rethink how I do social media because I'm not doing it right and I need it. I wonder if this, like, prepare to reinvent yourself advice. It feels almost potentially like something that is advice only for our, you know, generation <laughs> that like, I, I kind of wonder if like young kids today will 100% have that intuitively. Oh, that's cool. That's a good question. And you know how when you're a little kid and someone asks you what, what you want to be and you're like, I want to be a chef and an actress and a duh and a, you know, go through your list and that maybe that intuitive thing that you say when you're a kid is the truer version of how we're supposed to be like how how you think you don't think in terms of I'm only going to do this when you're a child we kind of groom ourselves in that direction but you're right like maybe my age and this generation has been taught that way but kids little kids don't think in those terms because the people that they enjoy watching do all kinds of things they do everything they're regular people on YouTube so Maybe they don't think of themselves in that way. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. I just wonder how much of these, all of our lists, like, feel like lessons. But, like, to a kid, like a five-year-old today, they're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do. I want them to be literally five. Like, yeah. listening to the show at five. Like, yeah. I'm on top of it. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Any five-year-olds listening, I'm sorry for the amount of times I have and will swear in this. <laughs> but that's another lesson. Uh, and this yeah. was in the article, right? Of course. Yeah. We One one thing that inspired this, it was a column by John Cheese. And it's called Five Lessons I Never Knew I'd Have to Teach My Children. And one of them is that, like, you can code switch and swear or not depending on the situation. Yeah. Like, it's fine. Yeah. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Which is the total opposite of anything I was ever taught. <laughs> right. Like, like, how many people grew up with a jar you had to put your money in if you swore at a time <laughs> when you had no income? You know? Like, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, I never picked up swearing. I never, like, in, like just, it never sat with me. and never been able to pull it off. And so there's, like, no swearing in the house just because we don't do it. And it's not a moral thing. I just it doesn't sit with me. And so when I do hear a kid swear, and not my kids because they don't swear, it's just like what? And I'm freaking out. <laughs> and my children are like freaking eighteen and sixteen and fourteen. They're very very old, and I just didn't pick it up. So that's not a lesson that I had to to teach. It's more like mom, you need to be okay with people swearing. Like it's the lesson again, the lesson they have to give me. Like I don't I don't operate in the same world as most people, I guess. Yeah. That is funny. Yeah, I feel like that means almost certainly your kids are hiding their profanity from you. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I should be okay with that. I should absolutely be. Of course they swear. <laughs> what am I thinking? <laughs> Maybe they just, they're really good actors and put on a good show for me. Well, I mean, if they are, it sounds like they're wise about it, you know? Like, that's great. Yeah. That's exactly the way to be. Lesson taught. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, also with the uh, career stuff, Andrew, you'd brought up the overall idea that being good at math and science doesn't mean what we tend to think it does. Yeah. Now and maybe ever. I mean, basically all the math you learn in American public school, K through 12, is not math. <laughs> or it's like, wait, mm-hmm. but there's numbers. Hold yeah. On. A punchier way to put this would have been math is less about numbers than you think. Oh, yeah. Real math is, you know, very abstract, very creative, and it's almost unrelated. Like, if you're good at algebra or even, yeah, even algebra, which I know has letters, but you know what I mean? Like, is different than number theory in a way that's so fundamental. And I I learned this in college, probably. I took a number theory class, and I was like, oh, the basic building blocks of this, any 10-year-old could basically get, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of imagining infinite planes and lines and oh wow (laughs) you know a lot of shit like that where you're like (laughs) you know because we're all talking about stem and like this is such an important thing and everyone's going to be something of a scientist but uh, yeah the thing that i i haven't found a pithy way to break this down yet but like to me the t and e of stem technology technology and engineering yeah applied math and science are so different than math and science yeah like as in I feel like grade school education weeds out many people who would otherwise still be good at logical, creative thinking mm-hmm. fr- from these fields. And I think, it, it, you know, on some level with all the other biases in our culture, it is why like so few women end up in quote unquote STEM fields, even though, you know, first of all, there's no reason at all that, that women should be feel like less able to do this. But I feel like many people who feel like I'm just not good at math and science, yeah, like don't know what it is. And they could be great at math and science. Basically, any of the shit you learn in K through 12 is 100% something you could do on a calculator. Whereas anything yeah. you do afterwards is something you could never do on a calculator. Yeah, I remember being in math class and needing to find a mental justification for like, most of this we're doing, I could punch into a machine in my pocket, but uh, I just need to learn it probably. Well, I really like what you're saying here because this is why Common Core exists. And we've tried we've tried so many times to rethink how we teach math and we know we're teaching math wrong. It's like common knowledge that, that we don't, Americans don't understand how to teach math and every time like they tried it in the 60s they tried it in the 80s uh to go back to these more inventive and and fun ways because it is a creative field it is something that you you can have fun with we just keep screwing it up it's in the it's in the way that we try to teach it that we just can't figure it out and and i don't understand why because other countries have figured it out and i guess it's because this generation of teachers too were taught traditional math and so they don't understand how to teach it and we haven't implemented good training for how to teach common core it's hard for me to imagine myself as someone who's good at any of the stem subjects but there's no reason why you shouldn't because it's not the definitions are messed up in my head of what stem subjects really are and i think there are more educators than we think doing a good job with math 
Like I, I happened to have a sixth grade math teacher who walked us through like, hey, there are counting systems where it's not base 10, like it's base two mm-hmm. or six or all these. And I was like, oh, so everything's different than I realized. Amazing. Yeah. But I, yeah, it, but then you go to the, your next teacher and then the, the thing that they've try, been trying to figure out is how to pull those really creative, good teachers who can explain this stuff and apply that everywhere. Because <laughs> yeah. you went to, because you, every year you have a different teacher who has a different idea of how to teach what they teach and well it may, it may not even be teacher yeah. quality it's just who's been exposed to right, what, right, right. You know? yeah. uh, but it or i rem- remember at the same time having that great math teacher and also not coming away from it thinking and i should go into stem because i was thinking no it's still all numbers like it's all it's still all computation and this isn't for me well that's the thing i think like ultimately and look this is a very american capitalist way of thinking about it is we don't Woo. teach math yeah we don't teach <laughs> math to kids we teach engineering we have teach applied mathematical concepts so chugging through yeah. and being deft with formulas and being deft with ways to apply existing knowledge and i'm not saying that's not creative but that's engineering it uses math but it isn't math right we're trying to teach kids i i guess to me it's aggravating that those two things are lumped together because whether whatever we believe, we all use some version of the scientific method in our daily lives. We repeat things that work. When things don't work, you know, we may do this very inefficiently, but we try to change things and see if the result is different. That is science what we're doing. We use science in all of our jobs. And I sort of think like that's one of the potential pitfalls of categorizing everything as STEM which I think yeah. it's good. And I know that ultimately it's to encourage, you know, women and underrepresented people to try to be like, hey, you can be part of STEM. I just think mm-hmm. it sounds scary in a way that is not necessary. Totally, yeah. I think also that like the term or the framework of STEM, it's so we can like throw a bucket of money at all these different things all at once. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, we're funding STEM. Right? Yeah. All the money goes there. But uh, it's fascinating how different those things are like even there's a a bureau of labor statistics looked at because there are conflicting reports of oh there's a shortage of jobs in stem or there's oh there's a shortage of people to do all these jobs in stem what are we going to do and it's because across those different fields some of them have way too many applicants for a few jobs and some of them are desperate for people Mm -hmm. and it's not all one thing it's all a mix Yeah. yeah i mean this is i think this is a good way of thinking of it your average number theory professor may or may not know how to reboot your computer. Like they're unrelated. You know, they're, yeah, they're not right. related to each other. They some of them have a lot of overlap and culturally we place a lot. So it feels like you need to be good at both or if you're a nerd, you're a nerd in this way, but it's not true. I've had more than one person in my life ask me for programming help. Because I, I work on the internet. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, I don't. Wow. That's, that's very separate from, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I can't help. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's bonkers. Right. We wouldn't expect an artist to be able to write. We wouldn't expect a, I mean, sometimes they can, but we, we don't have those same expectations for liberal arts yeah. Yeah. fields. But also your <laughs> average sculptor is doing... And certainly yeah. has the potential for, yeah, really interesting planar geometry. Yeah. Or, you know, it's all there. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's frustrating that it's like, I'm not a science and math person. And it's like, no, you're not a technology and engineering person, which is fine. We have too many of those. And 
I don't know. It just happens that they're the worst people on earth. So <laughs> on such a consistent basis. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> that's right. Here's my anti Silicon Valley uh, screed. Here we the, go. Is it because of this this one Google engineer, James uh, Demore? This guy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's like a really good example of someone. You know, I, I wrote down a bunch of examples, some of them a little facetious, but some of them true, <laughs> which is like, and, and this kind of goes into a second thing I th- I had mentioned, which is like, there's so many ways to be smart. You can be a doctor who believes in creationism. In fact, <laughs> right, you're, our, not, you're not encouraging that. It's just, it's a thing that exists. Oh, yeah. yeah, it, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I related to a couple, honestly. <laughs> like, But, you know, our current uh, Ben Carson, uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, is a brilliant brain surgeon. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Who believes in creationism? He believes that the pyramids in Egypt might have might be <laughs> might have been grain silos. I believe. Yes. Yeah. It's the like, best. <laughs> truly bonkers shit. I guess what? I, yeah. So the, that's sort of the other corollary is like there are many modes of intelligence, and most people don't have all of them. And hmm. since we so disproportionately reward the ones that are sort of male focused. We have people like James Damore thinking that he is a better human being because he's good at cranking out lines of code efficiently. You know, he's a better, smarter human being in every vector, including, you know, sociological analysis, I guess. Is he the guy that wrote that Google thing? Mm. Okay, now I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. He also had a, a famous Twitter thread after that about, can't we give the KKK some credit? For their like dope <laughs> job titles, they use wizard and yeah, dragon they came and up job with a good title. name yeah. for themselves. Yeah, and, and it, it, across the board, you know, like it, just because it, it's so weird that we say smart to describe people when it's just such a wide range of possible ways to be smart and possible ways to be very unintelligent. And, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and they often exist in the same people. People who say stuff like, well, you know, Donald Trump is a master marketer, as if, you know, being good in one field, what, regardless of how you think of his marketing skill, but if mm-hmm. you're good in one skill, that really doesn't mean anything else necessarily. But again, it's mostly because we live in a society that disproportionately rewards people already. You, you know, it gives people the confidence to think they can do fucking anything. You know, I love Richard Dawkins's early biology texts. I think they're really a really good way to explain genetics and evolution. Yeah, I, you know, on one hand, I would I'm gonna say something like, "Oh, he's lost his damn mind," but I think it's just like, "Hey, just because you're good at explaining how DNA needs to stay stable, doesn't mean that you are good at prescribing how society should treat Muslims." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like they're so unrelated, but he's just been so lauded that it is impossible to separate those two for in his mind, yeah. in his mind, sorry, I should say, and in the mind of many of us. Well, in a lot of people's minds, though, when a smart person says something, it's smart. Yeah. yeah. Or you just don't, you can't, you can't imagine that they would say something that's stupid. So yeah, we struggle with Or even separating. right and wrong might be a better way to describe it. Like the things right. he says about how society should function are categorically wrong. Right. And the things he says about DNA are mostly right. 
it's great for separating out things like that and people we look up to. And it's also, it feels like such a good thing to drop on a kid early. Like, hey, by the way, I know you're going to, as soon as you're in a classroom, be comparing yourself to everyone you're in a class with. Uh, you're all just kind of different. It's not that one of you is a genius and one of you is an idiot and everybody's in between. Like, it's, no, you're all different things, different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It- and we all value things differently. That's, that's I think, the thing is we need to be able to analyze, like, however, teach kids, but also teach all of us that, like, success is no measure of, you know, it's really just what society has chosen to value. And, and yeah. as that value system is changing, we're seeing, you know, people previously very powerful, very upset at things that, uh, you know, the way world's, the world is shaking out or people given more opportunities as we break out of old prejudices or try to break out of old prejudices, it's really fascinating. There's no smart. That's how I should have phrased mm-hmm. it. They yeah. know such thing as smart. What? I'm going to just start saying that to my kids all the time. There's no such thing as smart. You're not that smart. I'm going to say it like that. That's how I'm going to phrase it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you on it. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can Skype in or something, right? Just to, Yeah, to yeah, yeah. Or I, I can record. <laughs> if you want, I can record a little video for you. You can just play on your phone. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Those. <laughs> and it goes for other modes too and it doesn't have to just be smart but it's like we don't need like actors don't need to be political theorists right um you know or moral centers when gwyneth paltrow rolled out her site goop which yeah. is a bunch of like lifestyle things and medical things and yeah. people started to be shocked that like hey not everything on gwyneth paltrow's site is 100 percent scientifically accurate it's like yeah, she's an actress. Like, I don't know. She isn't necessarily a scientist. Like, yeah. Why is this a massive surprise to everyone? It would be kind of upsetting if it were really good medical advice, actually. You'd be like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, Gwyneth, maybe you should have been helping Great. more people. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? You've been holding out all these years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> be weird. Yeah. Going back to something you said a little bit before, Andrew, about how, yeah, the world is going to be, it's changed something and some people are not happy with the directions it's moved in. I think one lesson we could start teaching people young, but also start teaching everybody is just that life is very, very long. And so Mm -hmm. like the world's going to move in a direction that totally shocks you. I think no matter who you are and no matter what you believe. I was looking at Slate did a write-up of just, oh, here's where life expectancy is at. And in the U.S. right now, it's 79 years. So just think everything that's happened in the world in 79 years. It's it's mind-blowing if you start from back then and let it all roll over you, you know? Yeah, people used to be able to, like, kill animals with their hands. And now it's like not everyone's even good at doing that on a smartphone game. <laughs> and and like by the time I die, we won't even be eating animals anymore. We're all going to be eating synthetic yeah. protein that tastes just like animals because the animal activists will have, you know, convinced us all. Like it, yeah, it, it'll just be a, a sign of progress. It won't even be a thing anymore. And uh, yeah, it's a, hard there's... to it's hard to picture yourself that that far ahead though. Yeah, there's a friend of mine who's convinced that that's the number one thing about us that's going to disgust our descendants is that we eat meat. I, like, it's he's, it's going to utterly it. shock them that we would take an animal mm-hmm. and do that to it. And I eat meat. I'm fine with it. But it's going to be Me surprising too. down the line. Remarkably optimistic to imagine we'll have descendants that will be picky about 
food source that they grub off of the radioactive <laughs> wasteland. But <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I believe yeah. it. I believe it. They'll be like, I'm "Hey, why did you eat meat?" And I'll be like, "I'm strapped to a car providing you blood." I yeah, don't know, man, I, I have a lot of problems <laughs> here. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't evolved to eat sand like you have. It was a different time. <laughs> Yeah, well, and uh, and assuming there are any social structures left uh, in the future, Christy said that one thing that shocked me is that we should start letting people know that 401ks were not intended <laughs> as full-on retirement plans. I completely they believe they were until you emailed this. No, they were invented in like 1979 as a supplement for pensions and social security and people's already like their portfolios. It's just a tax trick you know, to, to get more out of your portfolio. And George Bush did us wrong when he made this, like, we just, we had this push only in the last 20 years to make this your sole source of funds in your old age when you're going to need more money than you've ever needed in your entire life up to that point. And I'm horrified. I'm absolutely horrified because I personally don't have enough money, obviously, in my 401k. I don't have any other ideas on how to get more money in my 401k. I mean, like, I just, I don't have a plan. And yeah, it's true. It's, it was never meant to be. And you, and you could see that it's probably more applicable, applicable now because we're going to run out of money for um, people to take care of people. Or we're going to go socialist. Like, we just don't have a choice. Right. Because we what else are we going to do to not keep have old people on the streets? Um, excuse me. I wooed for American capitalism before. Uh, and that's no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I used to, too. I mean, I, I voted for Bush. I worked for Merrill Lynch for a year. I I was a big fan of this idea of letting the market compound and, and creating your nest. I think what Alex is saying is that the senior problem and the meat problem might have solution. <laughs> <laughs> might just be one solution there. <laughs> oh no. Well, you've exposed my plot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> With the 401k thing, the article he found, Christy, on Market Watch, it talks about one guy named Ted Benna. Like he said in 1979, pitching to his company, hey, we could do this and that with tax laws. And it's kind of a workaround. And it's, you know, a little extra for people to retire on. And now we're putting all our eggs in that basket since then to the point it's where horrifying. I didn't even know there was a previous way to do it. Here's a question, actually, though, about this idea of the 401ks. Does it matter what the creator, quote unquote, intended? Like, just because a creator didn't intend for it to be the sole source of retirement income or the majority source of retirement income for people. And though it contains now huge flaws and huge risk that people <laughs> shouldn't probably be taking exclusively with their retirement income, it doesn't mean that, I guess, it doesn't morph into an... I mean, so many yeah, of our funny. laws and financial instruments and like social structures are morphed from something that it was never intended, but more or less function more or less okay. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. That's true. I mean, yeah. Roe v. Wade works, but it's not about that necessarily. Or, or you know what I mean? Like, right, lots of stuff. Yeah, one I of mean, my... he did say he created a monster, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean... The 401k guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
the scientist Buckminster Fuller, I think he has a saying about how a lot of the things we rely on technologically and in society, they're improvised in the way he puts it is they're like piano tops, referring to when the Titanic sank, you found what you could find to float on, mm-hmm. and a piano top is fine. You know, it's a yeah. big piece of wood. There you go. And so uh, 401ks, I think, are, are uh, just real robust piano top, maybe. Yeah. Like, where all millions mm-hmm. of us are using it. Yeah, which is not to say that it isn't a monster, for sure. I feel yeah, like- I get what you're saying, though. It, just because it wasn't intended to be the end all doesn't mean that it's a bad yeah. thing. Or I guess the other, the other way of looking at that is like, look, we're, we're in this boat as it is. Sinking boat, actually. Big sinking metal, unsinkable boat, mm-hmm. as yeah. it is. And <laughs> maybe... Look, the only way to do it is to shore up the piano tops for buoyancy. Right. Because, like, what else are you going to do? Yeah, maybe there's other stuff floating around. You yeah. build a thing there yeah. in the like Atlantic. You can be mad, you can be mad <laughs> that you didn't build, use that wood for a boat in the first place. Yeah. But it's not an option right now. So, Right, need to can. float. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess. God, this is fucking dark. As as soon as I I remembered the piano top part before I remembered fully that it's from the Titanic, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty dark. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <That's> anyway. <laughs> Support for today's show comes from our good good friends at Squarespace, who want to be your good good friend. Hey, you're great. You're probably doing something really cool, thinking something really interesting, building something, maybe, if you're good with your hands. You know, you can listen to shows and also do crafts. That's a fun thing. Anyway, show off yourself and what you're up to with your own personal website from Squarespace. They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers. You can customize everything about your site so it is unique to you. It's all optimized for mobile right out of the box. I don't know if you've tried to use a website from your phone. Not all of them are ready to hack it, and your Squarespace website will be. There's also nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. And if you do have a question, Squarespace has a 24-7 customer support team to help you out. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain just for being our friend. That is squarespace.com, offer code CRACKED. Happy almost the holidays, everybody. And hey, are you male? Do you know a male? Do you know somebody who just wants to get into some shaving? Well, I would highly recommend a company called Harry's. They're a friend of ours, and they have helped me, along with lots of other guys out there, have a better shaving experience. I don't know if you've seen me out in the world, but you might notice I'm a pretty cleaned up, shaved up, trimmed up, kind of fella. And that's because Harry's products, there's a closeness to the shave. It glides very comfortably. I don't like to cut my face a whole bunch of times. And Harry's products are made in a good way where I don't do that. They have this foaming shave gel stuff that smells very good. So also there's just like bonus smells in the process. It's a great time. And special for this holiday, Harry's is offering custom and limited edition shaving sets. So that's a perfect gift. You can nail giving someone some kind of present, and probably receive one from them in return. What could it be? You'll find out, because of Harry's. These are Harry's limited edition gift sets. They have special handles. You can personalize them with engraving, and they come ready to gift in beautifully designed boxes. They start at just $10, too, so you can afford that. And as a special offer for our fans, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off your order. All you need to do is go to harrys.com cracked, And this offer is only available for the holidays, so jump on it now. This holiday, give Harry's and give Handsome. Get your holiday shopping done early and take advantage of free shipping 
to get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last. Go to harrys.com slash cracked right now. That is harrys.com slash cracked. I have a lesson I think that kids should learn, especially because they're so native to it, but everybody too. And I think the way I'd phrase it is social media is not fun. Within that, if and when I have kids, they're allowed to use social media, especially because that'll be uh, the norm. So I want them to have the opportunity to, to do that if they want to do it. But also, I think social media is only fun if you behave in a respectful, normal fashion and find other people who are behaving in a respectful, normal fashion, like connect with them. Because beyond that, mm-hmm. it's sort of like how 401ks were built as sort of a supplemental tax dodge. Social media was built as like... You can use it to keep in touch with people, and in exchange, corporations will mine your data and advertise to you. And that's all it's actually for. It seems like there's a big chunk of alt-right white supremacy people who get a kick out of being an asshole. And I mm-hmm. would like to teach them that it's not like, it's not for that. It's not. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. not what this was designed <laughs> to do. Most social media, it's basically email with more bells and whistles. And so, like when they like pollute it with that, it's like they're directly. It's the same experience for the end user on the other end as getting an email with a bunch of garbage in it. Like you would be very angry, of course. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true. Yeah, especially when I like get a troll, either on Yoz's racist or on online or on Twitter to my personal Twitter, I'm always like, oh, I gotta answer this. And it's always some loser with like 12 followers. <laughs> it could not be less necessary to to write a rejoinder. There's nothing yeah. right. important about that. Let me, okay, let me, let me throw out my counterpoint that I've maybe already thrown out. Do you think that the hand-wringing over the consequences of social media not being careful on social media will not be a thing in 20 years for today's five-year-olds. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if so many, I mean, at some point we will have saturated oversharing, like whatever remaining sense of shame is in the culture will possibly have completely died and it just won't be a thing. I wonder if, if this is a self-grooming thing, like where, like, when I said my kids don't use social media, like I really mean they, they are barely using Facebook. And I wonder if kids now are almost born aware because their pictures have been on the internet since they were born and before they were born, that this is a part of their personality and life that they have to either protect or be very careful about or curate or they didn't get it as adults, I guess. And so it's already in, ingrained in them that you don't go on the internet and talk about your teachers and you don't go on and talk trash about your friends. Like, may, I wonder, I'm, I don't know if that's true or not, but because it's been a part of their lives for so long, I wonder if that's already built into good behavior. Well, but I'm also saying that the bad behavior might just have diminishing returns on the consequences. Am and, I? Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm not categorizing this as bad, what I'm about to say next, but like, you know, <laughs> like everyone's, so many nude selfies have been released okay. that it is less of a scandal every time. And again, it is a sexual assault when people steal nude selfies, and it is not a shameful thing to do inherently at all. But to, to taking them to is take not them, yeah, 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 sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah taking yeah. them, uh, stealing them is. But, <laughs> but I, what I'm saying though is, it, it is less of a 
scandal every time it happens. Yeah. Like we have become, you know, huh. the first celebrity sex tape insane. We're at 50 now, whatever. Like it, it, it's sort of not the problem that it was from a PR, again, taking morality out of it. Like sure. the, the, the PR consequences of this, which I guess is still morality, but, but you know, rightness and wrongness of, of whatever you wanna do with your body and whatever you wanna record with your body, it feels like it's possible that in 20 years, no actual bad behavior, perceived bad behavior will just mean anything that you did online. Like who cares? You know, in the same way, like, politicians can smoke weed now because so many people did it that it's like, well, what are you going to do? Like, we all did it. Yeah. I'd like to think the exception is, like, if you were hurting other people, though. Like, if you were trolling or if you – not trolling, that's not the right word, but um, – Harassing. In the same way we pull up people's old social media posts to show that they're awful people, I wonder – I'd like to think that we'll still care when someone's been hurtful. Yeah. Maybe. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, also, I, I, can, I would say I can see a world where maybe not. I agree that I would hope so, but I'm not confident. Man, we've painted this dystopian, awful future for ourselves. What are we doing here? Yeah. Well, there's also get, trying to get them clicks. This is this is sort of an old saw of of all these future things that William Gibson thing of the future is not evenly distributed. Like I think what you're saying, Andrew, will happen, and also. There'll be a lot of code switching for a lot of years before all of it's like that, you know? Like, it's going to be an issue where, especially people who give jobs to other people, will still be on social media for a long time and judging for a long time. So it'll, if I teach my kids social media is not fun, maybe the better lesson is like, here's exactly how to code switch on these different platforms and what to make private and yeah. what to make public. And yeah. like, it would be like like just a big tree on a whiteboard of like, okay, so you want to post this? Okay, is it X, Y, or Z? Okay, now go to Facebook. Okay, now go to Snapchat. Like, yeah. it'd, be a, it'll be a whole mm-hmm. like conspiracy theory looking diagram. I'm just saying there is a very real world that in 20 years, someone hiring for a job is going to be saying stuff like, well, who hasn't said the N-word online before? You know what I mean? There, Ooh, there's a very oh, real world no. that, that it, you know, it's yeah. one of our possible futures. Not the one wow. I want, yeah. but, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, because it, and it may not even need to be specific to that. It might yeah. just be a blanket thing of like, we'll all start to agree. Anything anyone did before 20 on yeah. social media, yeah, you were younger than 20 and... So yeah. were we all. We're all ashamed of all of us. And uh, oh well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, not not my hope. I hope the world will be better than that. But it just feels like it's possible. Yeah. You know that that's where we're headed. <laughs> well, I'd like to think that we use social media to create better behavior, and that all the kids of today are going to be wonderful people because they knew everything was public. So, well, that's what I'm going with. Yeah, there is like an upside to it that's possible where like maybe like maybe on balance it makes everyone more woke than less you know as generations go on mm-hmm. i don't know if that'll work out I that know. might be wildly optimistic <laughs> but who knows well i think that's the thing it's like it is a possible future yeah for sure I, yeah, I, yeah. I yeah and i i know i'm being a real downer i'm just saying i brought up the titanic man it's all yeah, good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've already touched cannibalism yeah it's all it's true gonna be fine people. from here on out oh, man. <laughs> andrew you talked about a lesson to teach people which is that 
little things add up more than you think. And and part oh, of yeah. it comes from just where what people's backgrounds are and where their lives come from. We're, we're on this weird financial kick, too. But it is like once you teach your kid or your adult or yourself how compound interest works. And, and look, it's because human brains think linearly, so it's hard to think exponentially. Compound interest holds true for everything. <laughs> everything compounds, everything adds up. I deal with this a lot in race situations. So like when people, look, it's super annoying, I know, when people are like, that's a microaggression or whatever social justice type of f- phrase that you find annoying when people say it to you, right? Every time you do something that isn't that bad to a person of color, of course, that thing that you did is not that bad. In a vacuum, 100% excusable. Yeah. What you have to realize, though, is that kind of shit is you add 0.00001% more bigotry to someone's day inadvertently. And then it happens again. And then it happens again. And then it happens again. The same way compound interest, at 1% interest rate, you double your money shockingly quickly. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, if you comp- yeah, compound once a month, you get, get 1% of your savings uh, once a month. It's like very quick to, to double your money. Yeah. Or even how, once a year or whatever. Like, how, uh, how young do you guys think you each learned just that thing of compound interest? Because I learned it from a fantasy novel, which is a weird way to do it. It's a, there's an author named Tom Holt, and he wrote a book called Flying Dutch. It's the legend of the Flying Dutchman, where he's an immortal sailor. And the premise of the book is that he took out a life insurance policy right before he got cursed. And so its value has compounded to the point where it's the basis of the whole world economy and he's the richest man alive. And I don't know. But I think most people learned it in like school. I don't know. Yeah. High school. I'm going with high school. I think it's my... Uh, most people pick it up, and I still struggle with understanding because I'm not good at math. Well, but yeah, because it, but it's 100% not intuitive because it is uh, exponential growth. Yeah, yeah it's like There's magic. No ceiling. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the two like social lessons for this are like anytime someone seems to overreact to something you do in any context, find a way to consider whether you were just one little exponent in a big dish of multiplication, multiplication, multiplication over and over again. Mm. Yeah. Um, Because that will go so far in alleviating misunderstandings. Almost every overreaction, you know, quote unquote overreaction is not an overreaction from the other person's point of view. Right. It's because you're not at least one party, but usually both parties are not accurately gauging what the other person's seeing and feeling and experiencing but yeah again i think compound interest is the best way to explain that idea which is like it's really cool again in today's world it's like hilarious because like so many people who believe in the power of the market can't understand how other things could compound too (laughs) they also believe in an invisible hand but can't you know comprehend how evolution could work like they're the same thing (laughs) they're exactly the same thing could you give an example of um of like a microaggression? I know that word and I know I've heard it. I kind of think I know what it means like for people who don't know what the word means. Could you Yeah. explain what a microaggression could be? I'm I'm sure there's a more academic way of saying this, but the the sort of most useful I think functional way of explaining it is it's some shit that you didn't like, but it's not that big of a deal. Right. You know, a lot of racism falls in that category where it's like a very classic example is like when black women get 
upset when you when you mention their hair, and it seems like okay. an overreaction, yeah. right? Any in a vacuum, any single instance, you're like, wow, that seems harsh. So, like, what could be in a microaggression that is obviously in and of itself harmless, like having a blonde woman on the cover of a, a fashion magazine, a blonde woman with straight hair, right? On a very, 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 very low level tells you that your hair is less good than this, right? It's right. not it's not an aggression. It's not really, it is, you know, very tangentially and not intentionally making a value judgment about people who don't have blonde hair or, you know, whatever. But it's a thing that adds up. And and so like then when okay. someone says like, oh, your hair is so exotic, you know, or whatever, it's reasonable from uh for some people to just be like fuck you i don't want to talk about this you don't have any right to talk about my hair and it's also kind of reasonable for the other person to be like whoa that's right, wow right, right. wow wow you seem angry yeah. which <laughs> I is was another being nice yeah. which they meant to be you know yeah, yeah. but it's like got it shit adds up or see, that's that i think i even wrote this in the <laughs> thing which is like i use the phrase shit adds up when literally it doesn't add up it multiplies up <laughs> like the reason why we're so ingrained to think linearly that like that is that's the phrase for things piling up as things add up when literally usually it is things multiplying up ex- exponentializing up I'm not a mathematician being able to see how other people's frustration can compound like interest if you can just start to empathize with other people's frustration. It will go a long way towards explaining their behavior. And again, it doesn't have to excuse their behavior. There's a chance that could help alleviate disagreement. I always forget who said it, but there's an old saying, like, everyone you see is fighting a great battle. Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, ev- everybody's dealing with something, and then they walk in with it, but there's not a, they're not wearing a sign that says, like, by the way, I've seen 30 years of women's magazines saying that blonde straight hair is the correct hair. Mm-hmm. And so so please don't push that button, please. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I wonder, though, if there's a corollary to that, which is that, like, everyone thinks they're fighting a great battle. And not everyone, <laughs> not everyone is. Because everyone feels that right. they're fighting, they themselves are fighting a great battle. Yeah. And look, this is a very tough thing to do functionally, but not everyone's battle is the same. <laughs> As you were explaining this, the story that came to my head was that, that, and I've never even seen the movie, but the movie, is it Falling Down? Yes, the Michael Douglas, yeah, like, falling down. As you're explaining what microaggressions are and how they add up, the people I'm thinking of are white men who are like taking these little bitty pieces of perceived insults and adding them up to their story. And their story is completely different than the story that everybody else is seeing or hearing. And I guess it's worthwhile to have this idea in mind across the board, which is, I'm sure what you're saying, like you're not saying, but not for white men. Don't, don't think of microaggressions in terms of white men. That's, I mean, like. Yeah. So that is the corollary to this lesson. To the extent that you can then also be realistic about your struggle versus other struggles that you see. Cause that is sort of the thing with falling down and, you know, ultimately with sort of, men's rights activists and things like that, which is like, they perceive this thing, but they have a lot of trouble seeing 
where the context and the reasoning and mm -hmm. the, the social weight behind it. So I don't doubt for a minute that many of these guys feel oppressed, men's rights activists, let's say. Right. But you know, like in Falling Down, which I haven't seen, but I remember yeah. the scene very specifically. I also, I don't know that movie. Uh, what's the basic uh, uh, setup? It's essentially it? a proto-men's rights activist kind oh, of deal. Uh -huh. cool. Uh, but the, the iconic scene- He like loses his mind and goes on a rampage or something yeah. after like one thing after another. Michael Douglas, in a buzz cut, the iconic scene is he is at a McDonald's clone. It is 1031 in the morning. And he, so he oh. can't get a breakfast sandwich. And so when he's frustrated by how fucked up society is, he takes an Uzi to the place. Oh, God. Like it's insane. This was a movie? Oh, yeah. God. I think ostensibly a comedy, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently nobody saw it. Like nobody owns up to seeing this movie. <laughs> I, I think it's one of those things where it's like social satire from one perspective right. until you analyze it and you're like, this guy... This guy 100% becomes a neo-Nazi in the 2000s. On the right. site, we've talked about the movie American Beauty kind of playing that way now, too. Like, no, he just wants to have sex with a teenager. He's yeah. not, like, oppressed by suburbia or something. He yeah. just has urges, you know? We all do. Yeah. Get over it. I, I, get, I get a thing a lot on, you know, is this racist when people write in and, you know, because I will glibly talk shit about white people a lot. And many people <laughs> will write in and say stuff like, well, I was born poor, so that proves there is oppression against white people, which is like a very, <laughs> like just pretty grim logic in many ways. But it's like, yeah, but you're not you're not facing oppression because you're white. You're facing oppression because you're poor. <laughs> and so, so that is the thing, right? It's like, yeah, little things add up more than you think. Like being a poor white person, undoubtedly, you face huge amounts of systemic oppression or like obstacles in your path yeah, to, that prevent yeah. you from prospering, doing what you want. And, you know, it is unquestionably not fair, but it is also unquestionably not because of your whiteness, which is a thing that people conflate a lot. I mean, the other more hilarious one is like, well, the Irish have always been oppressed. So therefore, <laughs> and, and that one is so nuts. I got into a long last St. Patrick's Day. I made a joke about that and just got hundreds of Irish people writing in about it. And and no one can really satisfactory answer the question like, which I mean, they can, but they it, it's a rhetorical loser for them, which is like, who the fuck were the Irish oppressed by? The English. Right. <laughs> like, there's, there's nothing to do with... Fellow whites. White people as we define it today. So yeah, little things add up, microaggressions add up, but also take time to really realize what your microaggressions are the things that hurt you are because you're right everyone is all, everyone is fighting a battle but we're also really good at deluding ourselves about what our battle actually is and or who the enemy actually is that plays really well into a sort of celebrity focused lesson that uh, Christy had thought of which i think he phrased it as be humble sit down <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, but about uh, how not all these celebrities are uh, somebody to necessarily be furious at if they're just being them. Well, yeah, I, I, and it kind of plays into what Andrew was saying before, that people are smart in different ways. And I think the thing that I've been trying to wrap my head around is how smart people like Gwyneth Paltrow and the Kardashians 
And anybody who's making a living off of their celebrity really is in how hard they actually have to work to maintain that what they do like I've for most of my life or for as long as the Kardashians have existed and I've known about them it's been they've been a joke to me and it's only been in the last year or so that I've really appreciated what Kris Jenner did when she took these little kids that are you know just kind of pretty not even all of them were that pretty and like made them into this big empire that nobody in that family will ever have to work again there's this piece of me that's just like, that's genius. I don't understand what she did. I don't, I guess what I appreciate more is that she and all of these people see something in our society. They, they understand what society values and they've moved towards that. They've, they've shaped themselves to be valuable. I think it's harder than someone who just like, likes to write on Twitter understands. It's harder than it's harder than I ever thought it was, and I appreciate it now. And I've never watched the Kardashian shows. I barely know who these people are. I do know that when Chris Kardashian married Bruce Jenner, like he brought nothing to the table in terms of like assets, and she just kind of led the ship with their with their media takeover or whatever. I guess my big lesson here is that if you know somebody's name because of their art, they've done something right. Like. Whether it speaks to you or not, whether what they do speaks to you or not, they worked hard in, to get there, and it's there's something to appreciate about it. Yeah, That's the skill <laughs> the skill level necessary to be a Kardashian is, I think, underreported. They are, you know, intuitively or and with a lot of hard work, able to do a thing around marketing celebrity that generates ungodly amounts of money. But, yeah. I mean, like, going back to, to sort of earlier, it's like, are they less intelligent than Elon Musk? You know what I mean? Or, yeah. or maybe maybe someone with a closer net worth if you really want to go there. But, like, <laughs> like the thing is, like, they are in a domain that's female-oriented. Um, you know, celebrity has always been sort of just, like, this idea or treated as this idea of, like, something that women are into primarily, and then that's becoming less of a thing. But... Like, they get less respect because they are generating their money through women's ways. And even, like, expanding <laughs> yeah. it in a way that's through their looks. remarkable. Like, yeah. I, through their looks. When they, yeah. Uh, yeah. they rolled out it, it, a mobile game uh, called, I think it's like Kim Kardashian mm-hmm. Hollywood. And everybody was like, ah, there's a Kim app. That's very silly. And then Mashable looked up how it did, and they said, oh, in the first six months of this game, Kim Kardashian made $43 million. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. very skillful. Like, great work. Good job. <laughs> like, it might yeah. be a dumb game. It may not be advancing society at all, but it, it seems to be entertaining some people and be a very, very skillful business act. You know, There's another thing they do that I really appreciate, which is they create a team around them. So like, I don't believe Kim Kardashian engineered this game. I think she got somebody in the room with her and, and said, I want a game. And they said, okay. And the same thing with their hair, with their bodies, with their diets, with their, their photograph, like they bring in experts to help them create this look or who, who they are, which is something that I appreciate because you, I think a lot of people just try to do everything themselves. And, you know, obviously not everybody has the economic resources, but the idea of creating a support system and a team for yourself too is admirable to me and something I wish I did more in my own life. And that I 
want, it, it is a lesson I want to pass on to my kids that you can't do everything. You can use the expertise of other people too. You can bring other people in to help you achieve your dreams or whatever and listen to them and let other people help you get you where you want to go. Because also I think there's such a trope of as soon as someone's a celebrity, society and especially comedy, like tries to figure out, okay, mm-hmm. is this somebody we should do bits about? And if so, what bits should we do about them? Like I went to a live sketch comedy show in town a few months back and three different teams did sketch comedy and each of them had a Guy Fieri bit. <laughs> so it was accidentally like a Guy Fieri what? parody show. And he's fine. It wasn't a prompt. They just independently all had their own thing. Yeah, they just all think he's funny. About Guy Fieri. And wrote something separately. Okay. And uh, But also okay. there's a stand-up named Shane Torres who he recently put out an album and there's a chunk on it about how Guy Fieri it, it, like has spent his adult years building an entire business where he goes around the country and promotes small businesses. Like he goes to those diners and dive. It's just what he's doing. If you think about like all these diners and drive-ins and dives are small businesses that need all the help they can get. And he points millions of food network viewers at them and like a permanent stamp of this is a a DDD. Great. And he's like just going around helping people all of the time. That's all he does. And we uh, use him as like a clown, you know, Mm -hmm. it's crazy. So dumb. Yeah, we're so mean. That's what, that's what I wrote down. We need to suppress suppress your inner mean girl, uh, everybody. <laughs> Especially when you have anonymous access or you have access to Twitter and it's so funny. And I do it every day. I <laughs> say mean things every day or, or I have drafts <laughs> on mean things every day that I may or may not publish. I thought I, I made the joke. I didn't make the joke. There's no joke here, but the Blake Shelton um, reaction, oh. like people are angry that he is the sexiest man alive. I know yep. there's some tweets from 2011 that are like, I mean, they're homophobic, I guess, but not like angry. Not like, I don't know. I don't want to say that he didn't say some things that are hurtful, but man, people are angry that Blake Shelton is the sexiest man alive. This just broke that uh, People Magazine has named Blake Shelton sexiest man alive. He's uh, crowned yeah. and titled and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, are people like digging yeah. up his old tweets and finding junk? Yeah. In yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I shouldn't defend what he, whatever he was saying in 2000. There's nothing to defend there. It's not, they weren't nice. Yeah. Uh, he was making old, he was making good boy jokes in 2011. Like, like, is that the right word? Good boy? What, like, what phrase am I using good old, here? Good old like boy. Good old boy. Yeah. Good old boy. Good yeah. old boy. I said good boy, then I said old boy, but I meant to say good yeah. old boy. <laughs> I wish he was roasting good boys. Um, that would be great. <laughs> I don't know what that would be. <laughs> I think there's this blowback against southerners too i I think um in comedy man we think we're so smart and we are very quick to call out who's a good comedian and who's dumb or a hack or because and it depends on who they are appealing to and that's something that i don't think is helpful blake shelton's a country singer and um i feel like part of the reaction was because he's a country singer I I think especially in comedy, and it's complex because I think you know whenever this comes out, pick your pick your choice. I think there you will see in some ways, the South is not great, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but also a non-zero and fairly large percentage of hate for the South is also class-based. So it is really hard to disentangle the unfair parts of 
that sort of cultural criticism of the South with the fair parts, you know. Right. So, like, mm-hmm. again, at time of airing, I feel confident. Pick, pick your news story about the South. There's some awful shit going on there. But there's awful shit going on in Boston, New York City, mm-hmm. sure. California. So, so it's hard to disentangle what is worthy criticism. You know, because the Guy Fieri thing ultimately goes back to this guy is a low class, mm-hmm. a low class person with low class tastes, pedestrian tastes, garish, nouveau riche, all those sorts of things, which are unfair and unhelpful and fucked up classist ideas. Yeah. But then you can also be like, ah, it's all this white dude machismo shit, which is a reasonable criticism. Sure, yeah. And then you kind of are like, well, where is it? How do I believe? And I guess the problem is you can't say what I just said when you're talking about Guy Fieri. You have to say one or the other. (laughs) Right, there's not enough space and time usually. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the same with Blake Shelton, right? Like, so it's, it's, that goes back to the criticism is just like, oh, white country dudes. And it's like, okay, so the perception is basically that like, country is regressive or whatever and some of that is fair some of that is unfair but where is that line i guess or or like not even where is the line necessarily but how do you choose to proceed based on that information what went wrong here is that it's just a bad time for men in this one moment i mean like we're just having a bad time with all the sexual assault stuff coming out so a sexiest man alive just nobody was interested or ready for any guy on a on people magazine and then b they did pick a white country artist any other time uh, any other year whatever but right now it's just a bad bad moment and probably that's where the backlash comes from because i think like sheldon's pretty lovable i watch the voice every week and i'm like oh he's so cute and adorable (laughs) and probably not a bad person at all but yeah i'm not interested in his sexiest man alive right now in this moment in history so that's probably where some of the backlash is that and the people that we do love as comedians or people who are interested in comedy or think that we're smart Louis C.K., you know, w- w- what we know about him now. And so we're, we we want to put people on a pedestal and we want to put people down, the ones that we uh, most identify with and think are great. And that's something I want to work on for myself. Like, mm-hmm. there's no yeah. need for someone like me to identify with the smart, great comedians more than country artists. That, I don't know. Look, this is the year that similar to when when uh was it time who gives out person of the year time 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 magazine was like person of the year you you know a couple couple years ago (laughs) i got that in the mail it was a it's that reflective cover it was so you know it's like oh we're at a time when like this was this was the year if if people magazine had any chops this was the year for the sexiest man alive to be the following sentence well, you know, really, the <laughs> definition of beauty and sexiness is different for everyone. And there's so many different ways that one can be sexy. So it's important to realize the diversity and, mm. you know, all the different ways that someone can be a sexy man. Yeah. If there is some way to make the sexiest man of the year is we're putting this award at half mast because men yeah. are just oh <laughs> yeah and also men are all, yeah yeah <laughs> like, the sexiest man alive is just 
a pile of dead bones. <laughs> I would have uh, I would have bought the issue if they put like Obama. <laughs> like I would have totally gone for that. Like yeah. if they just would have gone backwards a little bit and put a person of color on there or yeah, just Obama. I'm just I just miss him so much. Well, I feel like they um, do cuz they was it last year Idris Elba or someone like that? I want to say it was a more diverse person. Uh, maybe yeah. The Rock. Oh, it was The Rock. Yes. So yeah. last year it was The Rock. I know it's designed to cause discussion and consternation, and that's what it is. It's so irresponsible. Irresponsible to be pushing this agenda in the time when it's like, hey, the whole point of where we're trying to take society is that there is no such thing as a sexiest person (laughs) of any kind. You can like whatever the fuck you like. Yeah, it's sort of upsetting that they give out that award every year. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Why? Yeah. Stop it. And I, I know that it is to generate this discussion, yeah. but it feels like, you know, and again, on the microaggression tip, sure, this is a microaggression, but it just feels less and less responsible every fucking year. <laughs> Don't do, do it. Do they do sexiest woman too? Is that a thing? They do, right? I'm curious I want to say Esquire does oh. that. Oh, yeah. right. There's some other magazine oh, okay. that has some award like that. Yeah. Yeah. If there's one other lesson I'd want to bring in, it's we need to teach kids, but everybody also to like how to apologize, which has come been very uh, glaringly mm-hmm. prominent in this wave of everything we're learning about as horrible sexual assaults that an apology doesn't really fix. But a lot of people have apologized for those or just other things in a way that's completely broken and insulting and weird. And one of my favorite articles about it is a cracked one. Uh, it's called The Five Most Obnoxious Ways People Screw Up Apologies by Luke McKinney. And one kind he talks about that I know I've done in my life is the jackhammer apology, where you feel so bad about something that you just keep apologizing and apologizing and apologizing to like mm. just fight your way down to, I will I will make this better. I will stop having this feeling no matter whether or not you that actually makes oh. you feel good or not. Mm. And uh, that's yeah. like that and other things are things that People do because I think the the training they get is as simple as make sure you apologize and make make them feel okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Now go back to playing. This was the one lesson you get, and mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like a lot more to it. Yeah. Well, because it's it's we treat I'm sorry like it's supposed to be magic. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be a right. spell. I I think that's the real thing is like that's not what an apology is. Right. Like so so that's why like the jackhammer approach doesn't work because you're actually doing the wrong thing like it's you're saying the words or sometimes you're doing the wrong thing i guess yeah you're like demanding a response there's a part of me that thinks there's a part of me that does think it is magic like it is not magic in the sense that it makes everything better but it's a leap forward it's like you fast forward mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. like if i were hurt and i get an apology it's three steps in the healing process over, you know, a week or of pain. I don't, I'm not quite sure how to, how to phrase it. Cause it is powerful. I guess what, it's I know not, what you mean. Yeah. Magic isn't the right word, but powerful is, I think. Well, I guess what I'm arguing is that it's not magic as in that the words themselves, the words to yeah. an insincere apology don't do what you think they, or what some people have been trained to believe they can do. A real apology absolutely does move things forward, but a real apology, while I'm sorry, can be part of that, is not that. They're not one in the same, I guess. That's that's would be my argument, is that they're not 
mm-hmm. inherently magic by themselves. Yeah. And then I think also, I'm sorry, said properly, I think, Chris, you were getting at is that it has a, like, the communication is very powerful. Like, that is a huge step toward mm-hmm. someone feeling better. And then also, at the same time, it doesn't necessarily fix everything. And if it doesn't fix everything, you need to be like, okay with that and keep working on, okay, well, how do I actually give someone what they need in this situation? And also as far as like yeah. learning to forgive, going back to some of the some of the things we've talked about already, which is like both learning to apologize, learning to forgive, and then going back to the initial party, like learning how to understand why someone is having trouble forgiving. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That ties into the idea, like, you know, and maybe magic is too glib a way of saying it, but like feeling like your apology, even if it is a true apology, it can be enough, but it, it won't always be enough mm-hmm. on your schedule. Yeah. Sometimes you're just like, I don't fucking want to talk to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which is also acceptable. It's not ideal, but that's a thing that can happen. Yeah. And it's better if it that isn't the thing that blows up a relationship friendship whatever relationship in the two humans relating to each other sense it's like a lesson that someone can understand i think at a pretty young age they just don't get to have that lesson told yeah <laughs> they just get told like no no here's how it works if you do something wrong you go say this script of i'm sorry and then yeah. they accept it and then then we move on yeah and it's so much more than that well i think it actually encourages <laughs> us to be insincere with our apologies yeah really like yeah. it rewards mm-hmm. that like a thing that might not have been as natural yeah uh, i think so yeah and children yeah. don't Children don't get the model of parents apologizing very often either. They don't get to see adults sincerely say, I'm sorry that I let this happen or I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry that I made you do this or it's almost like the lesson should be as much for parents treating children like adults, not not like adults because you're still the parent, but treating them like humans. <laughs> like, like <laughs> this is what an apology looks like. I did something wrong. I mean it. I'm really sorry. Even though you are a child and I am an adult, it is possible for me to be in the wrong. And uh, that's a lesson more, almost more for adults and teachers and people in authority and whoever, you know, has power over someone else to be able to say i'm sorry for this behavior yeah we're amazed by like uh, super specific great children's book authors like maurice sendak when they're like oh children are basically adults and and in a lot of ways and treat them like humans like pretty good lesson kids are humans Mm -hmm. folks (laughs) (laughs) yeah Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Andrew T. and Christy Harrison for shoveling through Modern Life's garbage with me and for letting me work Buckminster Fuller and the Flying Dutchman into our conversation, even though, come on, Schmitty, pick a normal reference. Man. Speaking of references, let's head on over to our footnotes. You'll find the Christy Harrison column, the John Cheese column, and fantastic Andrew T. podcast, Yo! Is This Racist, that all helped build this episode. Along with the science and stats and more that we touched on as we spoke, one I want to call out verbally, since I flubbed the name of it a little bit on mic before, we're linking to a Bureau of Labor Statistics study from May of 2015, and it is a thousand times more fascinating than you think labor statistics could be. Forget forget everything you thought you knew about labor statistics, because here we go. 
it demonstrates that America has way too many STEM-trained workers and way too few of them at the same time. It's a weird paradox. We're a country where in 2014, 70% of people with a STEM bachelor's degree were not in a STEM job. And yet, there are tons of specific disciplines within STEM that are in a labor crisis. In 2010, there were seven job openings in computer occupations for every one person with a relevant degree. We're also short on everything from data scientists to petroleum engineers. The whole situation is more complicated than you realized. And I don't know if you know this, but that's our favorite kind of thing to talk about on this show. Also, one of my favorite ways to talk about this stuff is live in front of an audience. And today I'm here to say we are fresh off our final live Cracked podcast of 2017. We're coming back. More coming in the new year. We are back at Los Angeles' UCB Sunset on January 13th of 2018. Tickets should go on sale for that first 2018 show soon. Come see me live and in person and still writing 2017 on my checks. I do a lot of bookkeeping live. It's a thing. Also, if you want to ring in the holidays, podswag.com ran a Black Friday sale and a Cyber Monday sale, and they may still be doing some deals if you check over there. I don't know for sure because you're in the future, but they have two shirts from this show on sale, a footnotes shirt celebrating this section and a Schmitty the Clam shirt celebrating me as a creature. Check them out there, and I hope you get like a nice soft comfy tea for yourself for the holidays. And as the holidays come along, we are keeping all our podcasts running. There are new episodes of Cracked Movie Club celebrating Quentin Tarantino and all his movies. We've also got Best Episode Ever tackling more and more television shows. You may enjoy the one tomorrow about Arrested Development. And meanwhile, Kurt Vonnegut's Cracked Mailbag, all the other Cracked podcasts are running and having new shows up. We will link off to all of them in the footnotes. And that Cracked Mailbag show is something you can get with a Cracked subscription. And hey, that Cracked subscription, it's a great holiday gift in particular because you can do it very, very last minute. Just mouse over right now. You're good. And as far as this show goes, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by The Budos Band. Our episode was engineered by Ryan Connor, edited by Chris Souza, and co-produced by Brett Rader. Find Brett at Brett, R-A-D-E-R, on Twitter. If you love this episode, that is great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A thing that some idiots mistake for a harmless void to spout racism in, when it is in fact part of real life and cut it out. You can find me on Twitter under the name at Alex Schmitty, and I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with even more Cracked Podcasts. So how about that? Talk to you then. Oh, yeah. The wait is over. Womp It Up is back. Back, bitches. Every Tuesday, new episodes of Womp It Up are delivered hot and fresh to your inbox. Just like a DiGiorno pizza. Going straight up your butt. Featuring all of your comedy faves, returning faves, and new faves alike. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Womp It Up. Hashtag turnaround. Yeah. <laughs>
This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.